Turn with me to Romans chapter 8. I've had a heavy burden on my heart for this message, um, but this particular scripture passage the Lord just led me to a few seconds ago. So this is where we're going to start. Romans chapter 8. I'm going to pray as you're turning there. Holy Father, God, we come before you once again. My prayer is simple today. Uh, Get everything of myself out of the way. My mind, that is my own mind, and put it in your mind. My heart, that's my own heart, and instead replace that with your Holy Spirit. Lead everything I say and open our hearts and minds to hear your truth, Lord. I believe you've given us a message of deliverance for your people today. Give us ears to hear and eyes that are open in Jesus' name. Amen. Romans 8, beginning in verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. If I die sometime soon, so you all know, that's probably my favorite Bible verse, and I hope it's mentioned at my funeral. There is no condemnation to the children of God. Now, the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus, listen carefully, has made me free from the law of sin and death for what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh. God, sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, condemned sin in the flesh, that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh but after the Spirit. For they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh, but they that are after the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. So then, they that are in the flesh cannot please God. But ye are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if so be that the Spirit of God dwells in you. Now, if any man has not the Spirit of Christ, he's none of his. And if Christ be in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the Spirit is life because of righteousness. Let me be very clear. We're not going to exposit from that passage. I just felt the need uh, to read it. God has done a complete and perfect work already. Jesus already accomplished everything that was required for God the Father to forgive every person in the world for their sins. Now, the effects of what He did won't be applied to you unless you repent. If you're an unrepentant sinner, what Jesus did doesn't apply to you. It's not effectual until you repent. When you repent and come and lay yourself down before Him, He's already paid the price. Scripture makes it clear that it's possible, impossible, for anybody who has tasted of the heavenly gifts and of the life of Christ to fall away. They can't renew themselves again to repentance because it would put Jesus to an open shame. He died once for all. Do you all believe that? Jesus only got crucified once. He died once. He resurrected. That's it. It doesn't happen over and over and over. It was one complete perfect sacrifice for all time. Past, present, and future. Now, the only way this works is, and I believe this, I've been preaching it my whole life, ever ever since God called me. When God saves you, He forgives you for your sins, past, present, and future. Everything you've ever done, have done, and will do, are doing, is under the blood of Jesus. If you're His child. Now, if you're not His child, you're under His wrath and condemnation. But what God put on my heart this morning is to the children of God who are unnecessarily suffering. 
You're causing yourself to suffer because you have wrong thinking about how God works. So let me ask you something. Do you believe God can forgive? We, 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 we believe that. And yet, many Christians cannot forgive yourselves. There's people in this room, I'm saying this through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, I feel it inside of me. There's people in this room who are struggling unnecessarily because you're carrying around a weight of guilt that God didn't give you. You can be free. Isn't that the message we preach? Isn't that the message of salvation? We tell it to quote the worst sinners in the world. And then once God saves us by His supernatural power, then we go back to trying to live a life of justification through the flesh. You couldn't get salvation, you couldn't get new life through anything of your own flesh. The same kind of unconditional surrender that it took for God to save you is the same kind of unconditional surrender and childlike reliance upon Him that it takes for you to serve Him acceptably. This makes it so abundantly clear. And it amazes me, the conversations I've had with religious people over the years. They're just, it's amazing. I, I, even recently, I've talked to people. We've, we've, I was helping a fella cut up a tree a while back. He came to church, actually. And he's a, a minister, a uh, different denomination, but that's fine. And we talked the whole time I was working. He kept interrupting me and making me take off my earphones and talk. It was okay, because I got a break, I guess. But he, he, it was surprising him how much we agreed. And he finally said, I think I agree with you on everything except uh, I don't believe in uh, eternal security. You can lose your salvation. <laughs> and I just giggled and I said, you know what, brother, if I was keeping my salvation, I would sure lose it. But I'm not keeping it. God is. And that's another message for another day. Why am I mentioning that? Because this dear brother has inside of his religious training one last little thing he can't let go of. I, I believe Jesus has to save. I believe it's only through Him. I believe salvation is by grace through faith. But, but there's still a little bit I need to do. Let me tell you something. You were helpless to be saved. You could not make yourself alive. And you can't serve God on your own. Just like He gave you the faith for salvation, He gives you the faith to serve Him. And if you're trying to do it without His faith, no wonder you're miserable. You, you can't manufacture it. You can't, like Brother Brabi preached last week, you can't just give yourself more faith. The disciples prayed and, and gave us the um, example to follow. Lord, increase our faith. God, give me faith. Like the man in Scripture, Jesus said, if you believe or you have faith in me, all things are possible. He said, Lord, I do. I believe. Help my unbelief. In other words, I trust you, but I don't trust you enough. It's not as much as I want to. You've got to help me. That's what the honest heart says to God. So let me ask you a simple question today. We, we read in Hebrews 12 a few weeks ago, preached about looking unto Jesus. There's a little part of that verse I want to draw our attention back to. It said, let us lay aside every weight. Some of y'all are carrying around weight you don't have to. You want to lay it down? I'm talking to saved people. Now, if you're listening to this and you haven't been saved yet, and this pricks your heart, the Holy Spirit deals with you, and you need to repent, trust Him, and be saved, praise His name. Repent. 
And this message applies to the lost people as well. But what the burden of my heart is, is for saved people who are suffering and you don't have to. Do you want to lay down every weight and the sin which so easily besets us and run with patience the race set before you looking unto Jesus? Stop trying to justify yourself. Stop trying to earn the Father's love. Let me listen to this in Romans again before we continue. You're not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. How do you know if you're in the Spirit? If the Spirit of God lives inside of you. Some of y'all don't even believe that. You think you have to maintain a certain set of behaviors for the Spirit to bless you. You think that. Some of you believe that. If you don't do this, this, and this, then God's going to be mad at you. That's poisonous. It's not Scripture. This is what Scripture teaches. If the Spirit of God lives in you, you're not of the flesh, you're of the Spirit. And if Christ lives in you, the body is dead. Stop trying to kill your own body. He's going to take care of that too. I'm going to prove this. Now, this message today, by the way, I haven't even gotten to what the Lord prepared me to preach. This is all just from my heart. This message, um, I'm not going to take the time to prove everything I say verse by verse because I'm not trying to convince you of something I think. I want you to go home and find out in your own Bible from God whether what I'm saying is true. You go confirm it with Him. I'm not trying to convince you. I'm just trying to proclaim what He put on my heart, okay? Here's the simple question, which is also the title of the message. God has forgiven you. Can you forgive yourself? Can you forgive yourself? Can you forgive yourself? Some of you are carrying around guilt and you don't even realize it. Some of you are trying to earn people's love and you don't even realize it. Some of you are trying to help people all the time who don't want to be helped and don't need to be helped because you're trying to do something to feel better and you don't even realize it. I could go on. One of the heaviest, most distracting, most consuming weights that Christians carry around is guilt. Unnecessary, self-imposed guilt. All guilt in a child of God is unnecessary. Some of you don't even believe that. That's what Scripture teaches. There is therefore now, Romans 8, chapter 8, verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. There's no condemnation. Do you know who decides if you're guilty or not? The supreme judge of the universe. So this whole message, I was going to say it at the end, but I'll go ahead and say it now. All of this hinges on, do you believe Jesus is enough? Or do you think you need to add some stuff to Jesus? You believe Jesus is enough or not? Do you? Y'all are sleepy this morning. I hope the Lord wakes you up. He's been stirring in my heart this message, hard and heavy. Do you think He's enough or not? Either He's enough or you can add your righteousness to Him. But if you're adding your righteousness to Him, you don't get who He is. You don't understand. He's not just enough, He's everything. This is the the heaviest, most distracting, most consuming weight that Christians carry around is this unnecessary self-imposed guilt. Listen to this. Brother David Wilkerson wrote this. He said, Christians are strange creatures. 
They travel the world preaching the love of Jesus and His forgiveness for any and all sin. Don't we do that? They tell the heathens, the addicts, the alcoholics, the prostitutes, come to Christ and be forgiven. And those people do. And as a result, sinners who've been guilty of every conceivable kind of dark and evil deed gladly come to Christ and are instantly forgiven and delivered when they repent. The hardest thing in the world for the Christian to do is to receive for himself the same kind of love and forgiveness he preaches to sinners. Amen or not? Some of y'all don't struggle with this. Good for you. But most people do. We Christians find it so difficult to allow ourselves the same freedom from guilt that we offer through Christ to the worst of sinners. Christians sin against the Lord, then they proceed to carry about an excruciating load of guilt. They, listen to this, they want to pay for their failures. My mama, I don't know where she got all her parenting ideas, but I like them. When I was a kid, at some point, I don't remember what age, she let me pick my punishment if I needed to get punished for something. Uh, Sometimes. And then sometimes she would be more lenient. And I would get mad that she showed me mercy. It felt like a violation of justice. It wasn't fair that she didn't punish me for what I deserved. Some of you treat God like that. You do something you know you shouldn't do, and instead of simply repenting and moving on, you want to beat yourself up. You want to feel bad for days, weeks, months, or years. Some people have spent decades of self-imposed guilt trying to punish yourself for something you did that Jesus already paid for. Do you think Jesus' sacrifice was enough? You know why there's no condemnation to them who are in Christ Jesus? Do you know why? It's not because you maintain a certain lifestyle. It's not because your behavior has changed. It's not because you uh, act different than you used to. It's not because you're sanctified. The reason God looks at you without any condemnation or judgment is because when He looks at you, He sees Jesus. You can't earn His love. Jesus already did that for you. They want to do penance of some kind. They want to hurt a little before they allow themselves to be forgiven. So Brother Wilkerson said about all the thousands of people who went around the country and the world and spoke to. Christians who who they just, I just need to get myself a little harder. Then I'll feel better. You think God knows what's best for you? And I'll be honest, I, I feel like I've grown a lot in this area, but sometimes I still feel like the Lord is not as hard on me as he should be. In fact, that's how I always feel. These people that talk about God whooping them and all this stuff, I say, I, you don't serve the God I serve. He's a loving father. Now, does he discipline his children? Of course. But it's not, it's not a grievous burden. It's, it's, he does it all in love and for our benefit. Can you forgive yourself? Some of you know you struggle with that. Some of you struggle with it and don't even realize it. Will you allow yourself to walk in the freedom and light and joy of unconditional love and the forgiveness of your Father in Heaven? You know when God saved you? Well, first He called to you, but when He saved you and you repented and trusted Him, you got adopted by a person with unlimited uh, 
stores of infinite love. Now, I haven't ever adopted anybody, and I have one daughter. And how I feel about my one daughter is, I, as far as I know, this is true. There's nothing she could ever do to make me not love her. And some of you older ones who have children who've grown up, you're still agreeing with that. Could I be disappointed? Sure. Could my heart be grieved? Yes. Am I ever going to stop loving her? No. Now, that's me. And I'm imperfect, and I'm, and I'm not infinite, and I don't have all the power, and I don't have all the love, and I struggle. That's how much love I have. How much more love does God the Father have who chose you, knowing everything you are, were, and would be? He chose you, and He loves you unconditionally. Listen, uh, some of you think you only deserve God's love if you're not sinning. Some of the old ones know better. (laughs) Some men get to a point in their life where they stop trying to posture. They're just honest. And uh, usually somebody says they're getting dementia when they get to that point. But I wonder sometimes if they're just letting go of all all the fakeness that we're trying to look good. My grandfather, he, he, I loved him. He's my mentor. He, he, y'all, I mean, a lot of my family are here. He, he sometimes hurt people's feelings. Sometimes he said things he shouldn't. But you never, tell me if I'm wrong, you never doubted if he loved you. He didn't try to be a perfect man. He tried to be a God's man. And that's a, that's a different thing. Here's the truth. And this is what he taught me and what I have experienced in my own life. I sin all the time. My mama doesn't like me to say that, but it's true. I sin all the time. I'm not suggesting that sin is no big deal. Quite the opposite. What we're talking about here is life and death. Sin is a big deal. Sin brings death. It matters if you sin. But here's what I'm telling you. I sin continually, and so do you. And if you think you don't, then you have a bigger sin on top of all the other sins of self-delusion. Then it's dangerous. We all sin. The point is not, listen, the point is not to focus all of our energy on not sinning. Some of you think the point of being a Christian is to not sin. Some people don't want to become Christians because they've seen that example. I don't want to be a Christian because y'all don't have any fun. All the Christians I know are dead. They don't like life. They're boring. They don't believe in anything fun. I've had people tell me that. Some of y'all look like that on Sunday mornings. I'm not being mean. I'm just saying, when I'm out there, sometimes I look that way. We look like we're not even happy that we have what we have. No wonder the world looks at some Christians and says, I don't think I want what you have. I think I'm happier without it. That's true. Because many of us have a misunderstanding of how sin works and how God works. How sin works and what sin is. We think it is all about not sinning, not doing something. That's not what it's about. It's about walking in fullness of life. You're going to sin every day. There hasn't been a day in my life I haven't sinned. Here's the problem with focusing all your energy on not sinning. You're still focused on yourself. 
Our enemy's cunning. And if he could turn us into evil people like Hitler or Stalin, I think he's happy to do that. But if he can turn us into self-righteous people like the Pharisees and Sadducees, he's just as happy with that. Maybe happier. Because then we think we're good. Do you realize the most religiously upright people in the history of the world were the ones who were blinded to who Jesus was and who murdered him? Their religion didn't help them one bit. And friends, anybody listening to this, your religion, your self-righteousness, it's not going to help you at all. There's nothing you can do to make yourself better. Now, I'm going to... Don't say I'm saying anything I'm not saying. I'm not saying we should all get drunk on Saturday night, come to church hungover on Sunday. I'm not saying that. I'm not saying you should just do whatever you... I'm not saying that. But what I'm saying is you can't do it on your own and you'll feel a lot better if you stop trying. Is there a particular pattern of behavior that's acceptable for the children of God? Yes. And you're not going to be able to do that by focusing on not doing stuff. You're only going to be able to live that way by focusing on the life of the Spirit who is inside of you, turning your eyes to Jesus. When, when you do the thing you shouldn't do, let me go ahead and give you the recipe. When you do the thing you shouldn't do, here's what you should do. Repent. What, what do we usually do? We do something we know we shouldn't have done. I struggle, well, goodness, I have a lot of struggles. I'll give you one. I, I get aggravated, frustrated, and mad really easily. And when I used to drive into Nashville every day, I had road rage every day. I was angry. That's sin. Brother David understands. We've talked about it. What, what did I do when that happened? Now, here's, I'm just giving you sort of a comical example, but I'm not making light of it. It's sin. What the enemy wants me to do is get frustrated, get mad, think something I shouldn't, maybe say something I shouldn't, and then beat myself up about it and be depressed about it for weeks. Don't come to church Sunday because I feel so bad about what a terrible person I am. And go to work and everybody's like, what's wrong with you? Did your dog die or something? No, I, I just, I sinned. And I'm really having a hard time with being a sinner. He wants you to beat yourself up? No, here's what the Lord wants. As soon as you do it, Lord, I'm sorry. Forgive me. And then you keep going. Now, there may be a sin that you've been caught up in that has corrupted your life, and it's going to take more than just a quick repentance prayer. Maybe you need to literally lay it all down before the Lord. But when God forgives you, leave it. Repent as soon as possible. Turn your focus from yourself and your sins to your perfect Savior. Now, a lot of the problem, maybe, with Christians sinning and then living under a cloud of continual guilt and condemnation is this. Many Christians have an incomplete idea of what sin is, how it works, and what it causes. Christians have a, um, an unbiblical relationship with sin because they don't really understand what sin is. We Christians, we tend to think about sin as a list of things we shouldn't do. A handful of dirty things nobody should talk about. Just a short list. The, 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 those people over there that you feel dirty to be around. If we don't do that stuff, then we're okay. 
Here's the thing. Sin is not just a handful of things we shouldn't do. And I should say before we go on, there are things that Christians should not be part of. And sadly, we live in a culture, and I don't want to derail the message on this. This would be another message for some other time. But we live in a culture where not just sin, but sins against nature are celebrated. And we shouldn't have anything to do with that. We're, we're supposed to reprove the unfruitful works of darkness. We're supposed to stand against lies. It's not compassionate to be kind to somebody and participate in a delusion that they're living in. What is compassionate is telling them the truth and standing for the truth. So there are things that Christians shouldn't be part of. I give you some of this list. Sexual immorality and all impurity and covetousness shouldn't even be named among you. Also, and a lot of Baptist preachers never read this part, there should be no foolish talk or crude joking. I've never understood preachers getting up and telling jokes. Like they're supposed to tell jokes at the beginning of the sermon. All the, I don't get it. This is life and death. I'm not here to entertain you. I'm not a comedian. And the same list, sexual immorality and all these sins, is crude talking and joking. Now, do I laugh? Yeah. Do I t- sure. I, I, I think, and sometimes even up here, y'all laugh because I said something funny. That's okay. I'm talking about thinking that it's necessary or making that the focus. It's not the focus. We should walk as children of light. Now, later in this passage from Ephesians, it says, The wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Scripture teaches the wrath of God comes on the sons of disobedience, not on His children. The wrath of God is not reserved for you if you're His child. Say, well, we all have to answer for the things done in our body. Mm Mm-hmm. You do. And I've heard some ignorant Christians say things like this, like it's a, a badge of honor. It's very strange. They say, hope you're not in line behind me on Judgment Day. It's going to take me a long time to get through that line. Because they have so many sins that they've got to answer for. They don't understand the forgiveness of Jesus. I don't believe you're going to have to answer in that way because Jesus has already paid the price. Now, does that mean there's not consequences for your actions? If you're a child of God, no way. Your sins might not just hurt you. It could hurt your children and your grandchildren and people around you. Sin kills. And King David, though he never stopped being a man after God's own heart, he sinned in such a way that violence never departed from his descendants. Death and destruction followed them for thousands of years. And it all started with lust. So watch out. Now, We could talk about a list of sins and things we shouldn't do. And, and some of us, man, it's like we've got on uh, some kind of homing beacons to detect when somebody does something they shouldn't. You know, like, like uh, I saw this brother in this restaurant and this. or you know. Look, here's the truth. Turn your eyes inside. The thoughts you have are corrupt enough. The sin. I'm not saying we shouldn't say sin is sin. And think if somebody's doing, I'm not afraid to say if you're doing a sinful lifestyle, it's sin. Here's what I'm saying I got my own struggles. I don't need to be on alert for what y'all are doing wrong. God can answer, uh, or, or He's aware, and you'll answer to Him. 
Listen, sin, I could dwell on this, but I want to move on so I can get to everything on my heart. Sin is so much more than just a few things you shouldn't do. Do y'all know what sin is in Scripture? Some of you should. The Greek word hamartia, it means to miss the mark. That's what sin is. It is missing the mark. It's like an archer shooting at a target. Not just does he miss the bullseye, he misses the target completely. He falls short. That's sin. So get out of your mind. Now, sometimes sin is particularly heinous and disgusting and destructive. But the scriptural use of sin, I want you to get out of your mind this this idea that it's just a list of a few dirty things. Sin, scripturally, is falling short of where God wants you to get to. Missing the mark. And some of these Christians who think that once you're saved, you need to maintain your salvation they don't seem to understand that you're going to miss the mark every day. Paul said that. He said, not as though I had already attained or were were perfect, but I press toward the mark. He talked about pressing toward the mark of the prize of the high calling in Christ Jesus, that I might lay hold or apprehend him who apprehended me. We never arrive. You will never in this life reach a moment of complete sanctification. You Quit trying. I mean, I'm not saying quit trying to serve the Lord. I'm saying stop being disappointed that you're not perfect yet. You're not going to be. I miss the mark every day. That's what I meant when I said I sin every day. I miss the mark every day. Every day I think something I shouldn't. Say something I shouldn't. Do something I shouldn't. Every day. And that's how it's going to continue to be for the duration of my time on this earth and in this body. Y'all, listen, I'm a preacher, I'm a man of God, I'm a child of God, but I'm a sinner. It amuses me, Christians sometimes come up with these clever things to try to make ourselves feel better. I've heard this, uh, don't call me a sinner, I'm not a sinner, I'm just a saint who's still sinning. Well, okay, if you want to, if you want to, contort it like that, feel a little bit better. Good job. You're a sinner. You're still sinning. You're a sinner. You know who's not a sinner? Jesus. Because He never sinned. Again, sin, I'm not saying it's no big deal. It's a terrible big deal is what I'm saying. Every day I do things, think things I shouldn't. I'm a sinner. I sin every day. And the first time I ever experience an existence without the distraction of sin will be when I lay down this corrupt body in death and rise in newness of life to be with the Lord. And I didn't understand this 15 years ago, but as I've gotten a little bit older, I long for that. I long for the day when I'll lay down this body of distraction and corruption and frustration and be able to serve the Lord purely. I long for that because I'm never going to have it in this life. I'm not saying I want to die anytime soon. I don't. I got things that are still on my heart to do here. But I understand more and more Paul's desire to be absent with the body and present with the Lord. He said not that Not just that I might die. He said, my desire, I'm paraphrasing, you can read his actual word. He said, my desire is not just so I could escape, not just so I could die, but that death might be swallowed up in life. (sighs) That's what I'm hungry for, y'all.
I hunger and thirst for the Lord's presence in this life, but praise His holy name, I'll have all of His presence one day. Don't misunderstand me. There's times in this life that we experience the presence of the Lord. What a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful thing. But we never arrive. Now, with all this talk about my own sin and my own weakness, you might be thinking, well, preacher, it sounds like you're just telling me I should just get comfortable with my sin. I'm not telling you to get comfortable with your sin. I'm telling you to get comfortable with your Savior. I'm not saying that you can just sin all you want and don't worry about it. No, 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 no. I'm telling you your Savior, He already knows. He's aware of sin that you're not even aware of. You've done things to offend Him that you don't even realize. And He still loves you. That's why David said, forgive me for my secret sins. My sins that are near, my sins that are far off. If you're still focused on yourself at this point in the message, I mean still not quite ready to let go of the guilt of self-condemnation, you haven't got the point yet. Get your eyes off yourself. Stop worrying about how not good you are, how bad you are, how incomplete you are. Get your eyes off of yourself completely and get them on Jesus. I get so sick of hearing people talk about how hard their life is, how bad their life is, and how the devil tried to stop this or that or do this. Get over yourself. Everybody has struggles. Everybody has trials. I'm not saying you can't be compassionate to each other. I'm saying that's the wrong focus. Jesus can deliver you. He can help you. He has the power to deliver you. He is enough. Listen, brother, stop living under the cloud of self-condemnation. Sister, you got to let it go. Give yourself permission to live in the freedom of the Father's unconditional love. Some of you are afraid of being loved unconditionally. Because you've never had it. And even if you're saved by God's grace, you've never allowed yourself to really accept unconditional love. Listen, God is the judge. I mentioned that already. God is the judge. You, who do you think knows better? You or God? If God has chosen to forgive you, you think you're smarter than Him? If He wants to forgive you, why can't you forgive yourself? You don't know better than He does. To the repentant sinner, I'm talking about the one who hears the word of God and, and repents. God proclaims to that person, your debt is paid, you are forgiven. But so many Christians respond, oh, let me punish myself a little longer. I don't deserve to be happy just yet. You know what I'm talking about? Some of you are still asleep. I hope the Lord wakes you up with this later. Now, just so nobody misunderstands me, I don't think you will, but I, I want to make sure. It is possible to disqualify yourself from the Lord's service. But you can't unadopt yourself from His family. It matters what you live, how you live, and what you do. It does. And 
I'll give you a scriptural example of this. 1 Corinthians 9.27, Paul says, I keep under my body and bring it into subjection, lest by any means, when I've preached to others, I myself should be a castaway. Or another way of reading it is, I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. Paul is talking not about losing his salvation, but about being a suitable vessel for the work of the Lord. And you know who decides if you're a suitable vessel for the Lord's work? God, not you. You don't disqualify yourself. God does. And if you've done something to disqualify yourself, you won't have to wonder. He'll let you know. Now, don't do it. It's not worth it. I've, I've, it's not worth it. I don't know anybody who got older that was younger and they were glad they sinned. Or they had a wild life. A lot of people... Old men do this. They brag about how wild they were when they were young. But the ones, when I sit down and have a sober conversation with them, they're not glad they were that way. They're not, they're not proud of it. It hurts. It causes scars. So don't let anybody misunderstand and think I'm saying sin. You just do whatever you want. But here's the point on my heart, this message. Some of you, listen, listen to this. It's so important. Some of you, even here in this building, listening on the recording later, online, some of you are living your lives in a demonic cycle of guilt. Say, preacher, that that sounds pretty strong. I said demonic on purpose. It is demon-inspired because it is keeping you from serving the Lord. If you're living under a cloud of condemnation, that's not from God. Some of you... Maybe you did something you shouldn't have. By the way, has anybody done something you shouldn't have? I'm not saying there's no victory over sin. Again, that's another message for another day. I'm saying you're going to (laughs) sin. Some of you, you did something or do something or think something or live some way you shouldn't. And then instead of repenting, you start working to get yourself back in the Lord's good graces. Don't you? I, had, I love honest people. My favorite people in the world are honest sinners. I don't like religious people very much. And I tell them that. But if I find an honest... I had a man tell me one time, he said, I, I want to go to church but there's some things in my life I need to change first. I need to clean up first. I said, man, come to church and let God change you. (laughs) But he understood he was a mess. Christians come to church and put on some clothes, look a little better, think we're all right. Uh -uh. We're just as desperately in need of the Lord. Our job, see, he thought, he he learned this somewhere, that, that before God could forgive him, he needed to do some work to get in God's good graces. Some of you still think that. That's not how the Heavenly Father operates. It's not how He works. And, and some of you who are thinking that way, it's because you don't understand God's love, how it works, and what it is. Here's how it should work. The love of the Father should be the most powerful motivator for a child of God to live the life we should. Not fear of punishment. You know what fear of punishment leads to? Secret sins. Just look, I can tell, give you pastor's kid after pastor's kid who grew up wild. 
sneaking out the windows, doing crazy things, running around, because they didn't get caught. Their goal was to not get caught, not to please their parents. That there's a difference in a motivation of the Lord loves me so much I don't want to hurt His heart. That's completely different than I don't want Him to catch me. Because then you can sort of hide and pretend that He doesn't notice. But He sees everything. Fear of getting caught in what might happen to you was never God's plan. Some of you have spent years, maybe your whole life, I mentioned this earlier, trying to earn love. And maybe you don't even realize it. Some of you literally don't think you deserve to be loved. And you know where this comes from? You grew up in a situation, a home. I've, 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 had fr- I've been friends with a lot of older men that I've learned a lot from. And a lot of them, I mean men that are like between 60 and 80, they grew up rough, a lot of them. And a lot of them learned... Or, or somehow internalize the idea of love from that environment. That I better never do nothing to make my dad mad at me because he's going to beat me. Literally. And some of you, even if you're younger, you've somehow gotten that idea from, from the situation or the family you grew up in. Maybe you had an earthly father or mother who only showed you conditional love. You didn't realize it, but you're always trying to earn their love. Trying to get the right grades, trying to win the football game, trying to win the baseball game, trying to hit the home run, trying to, whatever it is, trying to earn it. And you don't realize that you've internalized that that's how you get love. People take it into their marriages and they think they don't deserve to be loved and then people perpetuate it onto their children. Here's what I'm telling you. God, if you're His child, loves you unconditionally. Do you know what that means? I don't think some of y'all even know what that... You don't even get it. Without condition. Nothing you have to do to, to earn His love. Real love... This is important. I want you to get this. Real love never requires you to prove yourself. Real love never has a trial... Period. You know God saves you, forgives you, and that's it. He doesn't put you on probation. There are no conditions of pure love. No conditions of pure love. Sometimes a person who's not properly dealt with guilt, they'll feel the need to tell other people about their sins. You know what? People used to be wise. They're not anymore. My grandparents said, don't air your dirty laundry. There's wisdom in that. You know what I told my wife when I realized what a treasure she was? This is all I said. I said, I wish every woman I ever cared about had been you. And she didn't ask me any details. That was my heart. Telling her how you see what I'm saying? She didn't want to know, well, how many girls did you date? How many girls did you kiss? What this, this? Do you understand? She didn't expect, and it wouldn't have been wise, and I didn't need to give her a list of my sins and then her vet me and decide if I'm good enough and then put me on probation or some kind of baloney. That's not love. 
You know what that is? That comes from, and I'm talking about this because we're surrounded by it. That comes from a hyper-religious culture instead of the Spirit of God producing life inside of you. That's not how it works. There's one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. One mediator. You don't need to confess your faults to anybody or sins. Say, well, wait a minute, preacher. The Bible says confess your faults one to another. It does. Don't take it out of context. Do you know that word there is not hamartia? It's not the word for sin. It's a different word. We could talk about that a little bit. James 5.16, which people take this one verse, confess your faults one to another, pray for one another that you may be healed. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. The focus of this verse, the context is prayer, not sin. And the context is not confessing things to each other. The context is prayer. What this word, this is the Greek word paraptoma. And it's a different word than hamartia. You could go study it out yourself. It's, it's a completely different concept. This is not talking about, Brother Alan, I really struggled with this, this, and this this week. That's not what it's talking about. When I was in college, I didn't understand it. I had a man, I had barely knew him. And he came from a real religious background. And, and he wanted me he to uh, get together and have weekly accountability sessions. I was 18. I called my grandfather my mentor, and I said, um, I, I don't know why. I don't know what Bible verse is. I don't know theologically, but there's something that feels wrong about this. It's not just that I want to hide in my sins because I know I'm a sinner. It's that I don't even know this guy, and he wants me to confess to him. And he just laughed, my grandpa. He just laughed. That's all he said. He just laughed. And then whenever we talked, he would say, how's the father confessor? That's it. You know what I realized later? That guy didn't have proper theology. That's not even normal, natural, to confess your faults to some stranger you don't know. That's what Jesus is for. Now, I'm not talking about a dear brother that you have a deep relationship with, talking about real things. and real. A couple of my man friends, we talk about some marriage and things in deep ways, and it's good. But that's a whole lot different than this weird religious thing that we have in the world now. I told you, don't air your dirty laundry. Now, here's the other thing. No person should hold your sins over your head. What was that guy going to do if I come to him? I really struggle with lust this week. Give me 40 lashes or 40... What's he going to do? Give me a recipe? Here's how you cannot sin. And then next week I sin, but this time I lie to him. That doesn't keep you from sinning. You know what keeps you from sinning? The love of the Father. When you sin, when you do things you shouldn't, it's because you've lost sight of the Father's love for you. I'm going to get done as soon as I can. I don't know how long it's been, but I want to be able to breathe and sleep later, so i got to finish. And if you all get tired, you can do some stretches or something. I'm not usually like that, but I, 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 I still can't breathe good, so i got to get this out. Nobody should hold your sins over your head. If a person does that, they're showing you their love's conditional. And if that's the case, be careful. I already told you what I told my wife. And I'm thankful for what God put in my heart. She's a pure woman. She's not perfect. I mean, I could tell you all kinds of things I don't like about her. (laughs) But she's a beautiful woman with a pure heart. Who I had been waiting for. 
When God sent me her, I didn't think a woman like that existed anymore. And that's why I told her what I did. I meant it. I, mean, I wish she had been the only woman I ever cared about. Now, I wasn't, my mama raised me in a way, by God's grace, I praise him for that. I wasn't, I wasn't a, some wild buck running around like, I wasn't. And I thank the Lord for that. But there's, but there's things I regret. You see what I'm saying? I learned a lot from older people. In fact, most of what I've learned over the years has been from my elders. People who live through things, right? And I remember talking to a dear old saint of God, an older sister, in my grandparents' age group. And there was a time early in her marriage, they would still been married like 50 or 60 years. Early in their marriage, there was a time when her husband was unfaithful. He got with another woman. And I said, why didn't you leave him? You know what she said? Because that's my husband. People my age, we can learn something from that. Doesn't mean what he did wasn't a big deal. Doesn't mean it didn't cause problems. Here's what I'm telling you. Young men, I wish Jonathan was here. Daniel, Johnny's already married. Any other young men, you find a woman who loves you like that. Or don't get married. The only way a marriage will make it is if you have that kind of love. Now, I'm not saying that there aren't circumstances where um, a marriage is dangerous and somebody needs to walk away. That, again, is another message for another day. There's abusive situations that people don't need to stay in. And I'm not afraid to say that. I've seen it. But... We have a tendency to make rules out of exceptions. And God wants us to talk about His best will for us. His best will for you, you're going to get married, find a wife who loves you like that. Do you know, I'm not afraid, my wife and I, I told you, we don't have a perfect marriage, but I love her and she loves me. And never is there one second of thought in my mind of, if I do this, she might get mad and leave me. Never. It's not even there. And I don't think she thinks that way either. And it shouldn't be that way. And I just, I'm sorry to dwell on this, but it's in my heart for some reason. Be careful. I've had friends over the years who got into these marriages, they didn't even realize it. A lot of, all those years I was single, the Lord, I was friends with a lot of women. We didn't date, but we were friends where they would tell me about the problems that they're dealing with. And many times it would be like they got in a relationship with some controlling person. They didn't even realize that this person's like holding their sins over their head or their actions over their head and withholding love. Make sure you don't get involved in that, people. It's not worth it. I don't even know how to explain what's in my heart, but I trust the Lord to show you. I want to shift gears a little bit, talk to some of you who are older, maybe grandparents. Some of you, you've, you've tried to serve the Lord, you've lived a good life, you know you're not perfect, but what weighs you down is not guilt over your own choices, but grieving over people you love not living the way they should. A lot of grandmothers I think about in this category, who you spend your energy grieving 
Literally. Because your children or your grandchildren aren't doing what they should. I want to tell you, mama, grandma, grandfather, whoever you are that might feel that way, you can lay that grief down, that guilt down at the feet of Jesus, too. You can stop grieving and start living. How, how many of you grandparents think your, your kids and grandkids are doing everything just 100% the right way? No. But you have to let go of it. And I've said this before, I need to say it again. You're not responsible for the decisions of another adult person. Period. In fact, I don't think you're responsible for the decisions of anybody. I mean, when you have little children, you take some responsibility. But Scripture teaches we're going to give an account, each of us individually, about what we did with our own bodies. We have to appear before His judgment seat to answer. And then as I get ready to conclude, I want to remind you of our great and beautiful high priest. Hebrews 7, I want to read a little bit of this and I'll finish. This is talking about how there were priests in the past. It says, They truly were many priests because they were not allowed to continue by reason of death. But this man, Jesus, because he continues forever, has an unchangeable priesthood, Wherefore, he is able also to save them to the uttermost that come unto God by him, seeing he ever liveth to make intercession for them. I ask you again, you think Jesus is enough? Or you want to keep trying to do some of it on your own? You want to try to maintain some of your own righteousness? I say this to my brothers that think they need to keep their own salvation. You don't think, this says Jesus can save you to the uttermost. What do you, what do you think the uttermost is? Everything but that. He can do everything, but I need to, I need to hold, keep it. Come on. It doesn't make sense. Seeing he ever lives to make intercession for them. For such a high priest became us, who's holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners, made higher than the heavens, who needeth not daily as those high priests to offer up sacrifice first for his own sins and then for the sins of the people. For he did this once when he offered up himself... For the law makes men high priests which have infirmity, but the word of the oath which was since the law makes the Son who's consecrated forevermore. Now of this which we've spoken, this is the sum. We have such a high priest who's set on the right hand of the throne of the majesty in the heavens, a minister of the sanctuary and of the true tabernacle, which the Lord pitched and not man. Isn't that beautiful? Jesus is on the right hand of the Father in heaven, continually interceding for His children. You, you've already got an advocate. You don't have to convince God to not punish you. Jesus is already doing that. Jesus' sacrifice for you was and is enough. So I have a simple question for you, children of God. Are you going to live like it was enough? Are you going to keep trying to punish yourself a little more until you, till you feel like you deserve His love? You're going to live like His sacrifice was enough? The same kind of absolute reliance and unconditional surrender that it took for the Lord to save you is the same kind of reliance and absolute unconditional surrender that it takes for, for you to serve Him as a child of God. I pray that God will show us, let us experience the power of surrendered lives. Because people who are living surrendered lives are walking in fullness of joy and freedom. They're not carrying around their sins, beating themselves up for mistakes they've made, worried about. No. 
They know they're sinners, they know who they are, but more importantly, they know whose they are. Whose you are is a lot more important than who you are. Amen? Let's sing a song. You could turn that recording off. I want to sing Jesus Paid It All. If you all know this song, again, or if you don't know it, stand up. Let's sing this. If you need to seek the Lord, if you need to repent, you can. It's in the black book somewhere, midway through. I saw it earlier. Jesus paid it all, all to Him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain, but He washed it white as snow. Isn't that beautiful? Did Jesus pay it all or not? That's the question for you.